On this week's episode of the Career Musician Podcast, we're talking to Nathalie Bonan, the go-to violinist and composer who's been a featured soloist with Wynton Marcellus, Ted Nash, and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra. She's performed and recorded with artists like Stevie Wonder, Luciano Pavarotti, Chance the Rapper, Cirque du Soleil, Dead Mouse, Peter Cetera from Chicago, Gino Vanelli, and the list just keeps rolling by. As a composer, Natalie has tugged at heartstrings worldwide with her touching scores from five classic Hallmark movies. She's composed numerous theme songs and soundtracks, and her music can be heard on the BBC, PBS, ESPN, MLB, and NBC. And if that wasn't enough, she's also developed a world-class aerial violin act. Without further ado, let's get to know more about the undeniably multi-talented career musician, Natalie Bonan. Natalie Bonin, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you. I have to start out by this by saying this. We met at the American Federation of Musicians Local 47 here in Los Angeles. I want to say, I want to say it was like almost two years ago. We yeah. sat next to each other a couple times. At yeah. the orchestration and arrangement class <laughs> that Dr. Ludwig uh, was giving. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so How funny that, that, you know, what a coincidence that we both landed there. And I remember we shared the same desk for, you know, a few lessons. So it's awesome uh, to see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Same. And uh, when I met you, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to work with her in the future because I liked that you had uh, film and TV experience, but also, you know, um, artist album experience, like, you know, mm. recording uh, artists, but also you understood the ins and outs of production and composition and recording. So, you know, it's like all of those things combined. It takes a long time to build up those skill sets in each of those areas, you know? That's true. And yeah. It's not something to be uh, taken lightly. So let's dive in because I love your credentials. I mean, uh, your schooling is impressive. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved and in some of your musical inspirations. All right. Well, I actually started violin when I was four. Um, and I got kind of, you know, geared towards classical music. That's what my parents were listening to. And I, so I grew up in that classical environment. Um, and then I just, you know, went on to study with private teachers uh, until I was 11. And then my parents had this uh, incredible project um, to kind of homeschool me and take a bit of a sabbatical. And so I landed in New York with them and studied music, again, classical with a bunch of teachers from Juilliard in Manhattan uh, school of Music, and uh, ended up playing in the New York Youth Symphony, um, playing at Carnegie Hall when I was, you know, barely 12. So it was just incredible um, to go through those years of training. And that really, I think those three years in New York, almost four years, uh, were really the core of my love for music and and what installed in me this sense of this is part of my life. And then... Um, and then we had to come back because my parents were not U.S. citizens, so they didn't really have, you know, legally, they couldn't really stay there. And I eventually couldn't be homeschooled anymore. My, my mom couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> so ended up going to school yeah. back in Montreal and um, went to McGill, again, in classical violin. 
and finished my bachelor degree um, in music and performance. And um, after that, it was kind of a weird period where I had a lot of doubts and questions. I was actually dating a medical doctor at the time. And, um, and it was sort of like the question in my life where I was always led to go to music, to be in music for a bunch of reasons that made sense, or it was sort of my direction, but it, I felt it wasn't a conscious decision, you know, mm -hmm. from my end, it was just, I felt it, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't something that uh, I decided as more of an adult decision, you know? Mm. Um, so, so at that point I had doubts and I was like, you know, what is music? What does that mean for, for me, for anybody? Is that really useful or is that necessary? Like my, my boyfriend is saving lives every day. And I'm like practicing this stupid two measure passage. I can't get for like four hours. I'm like, what is, what am I doing? You know? So it was a period where I was like, where am I going with this? And my dad was a psychologist. My mom's a, you know, she studied in biochemistry. And so I had this kind of love of, of science and psychology and human, you know, health and stuff. So I was kind of driven towards that. And for actually, I decided to do my pre-med. Um, I was like, yeah, you know, I need to do something that's meaningful in life. And, and so this was like a big... <laughs> curveball and threw myself in into and was like, okay, I'm gonna go back to taking all those science courses that I got out of in school to practice. Now I have to do them. <laughs> but you realize that you actually save time you doing them later because you do it in a month and not in a year. So I ended up doing all of that and getting accepted in med school when I was like, I think 24 after graduating from my bachelor's degree. And then I was like, um yeah, duh. So what do I do now? Am I supposed to stick to music or go towards that decision? So I ended up going to Italy for a year, not a year, a whole summer and a year would have been a little bit long, but three months. Um, and kind of giving music a chance, kind of saying, all right, prove me wrong. Prove, prove me that this is really who I am. And that's where that adult decision came in. And that, that, kind of proof that I was a musician was in Italy is that's where I um, I rediscovered music in my own way so I started playing Bach in like these old churches and places that you know America wasn't even discovered yet when <laughs> these were built and it just felt like such sacred places to to hear and, and experience music in a new way so when I came back from that trip I I was transformed that didn't go well with many things. So I, I kind of, I dumped med school, but I also dumped the doctor. <laughs> so it was like a whole, an all in thing. It was like, nope. Okay. We're not going that direction. <laughs> and I know it was like, okay. Um, but it's also discovering new ways of, of being part of music. I realized that probably what I wasn't uh, open to was everything else. I had only done and listened to classical music, basically. And so I opened up to improvisation, jazz, world music, started playing right. with bands like Moroccan um, singer and musician Saeed Misnawi from uh, the, you know, Marrakesh and um, uh, what do you call it? The Nawa trance and, um, you know, discovering all these new cultures, playing tango, playing um, fusion jazz, like, oh my gosh, that was quite something. I, 
you know, improvising was totally new to me. And then I, I wanted to do it so bad that the guy was like, yeah, have you done this before? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do that. <laughs> and then after, you know, a week, he was like, yeah, I think you've never done this before, but you really want to. I'm like, yes. So I was practicing 10 hours a day and learning all these chords and it was just overwhelming, but uh, incredible to discover all these sides of, of music. Um, so that took me to like doing TV shows, touring with different pop groups and, and rock and whatever, and um, ended up playing with Ted Nash in New York um, and touring with this jazz quintet, very, very, you know, unique jazz quintet. And then that led to performing with the jazz at Lincoln center, recording with them and, basically having Winston Marsalis in my band, <laughs> you know, you know, so when you think of this whole kind of lineup of things, it's just really diverse wow. um, and a bunch of discovering um, that went on for, I guess, these 10 years, you know, like my, my, the second half of my twenties and early thirties were basically discovering so many sides of music, um, which led to composition because at one point, it just became so creative uh, that it felt like, why don't I go to, you know, improvisation is basically an instantaneous composition. So why don't I do something that's more permanent? And um, I had just, I guess, never had the confidence to do it. And the time I didn't really devote to that. So when I was on tour in, you know, I was going to go on tour with this pop singer for four months in Russia and Europe. Um, I had so much time on my, you know, hand, like traveling and buses and planes. So I started doing these Berkeley online classes and, um, and discovered I really loved arranging and, and orchestrating and composing. And so from one thing to another, I ended up doing the whole master's certificate in film and TV, which led to, get, you know, uh, winning pitches for TV shows and, and different, you know, TV series, commercials, um, background music. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the whole scope of how one thing led to the other, you know, right. in my career. Well, okay. Yeah. It, th this is excellent. First of all, we have to unpack a couple of things because... I know, I know. I didn't want to go too far because I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of the thread. That's the thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love the, the overview. Thank you. But what an illustrative career you've had. And I want to start in the beginning. Okay. So I always say, um, I've been a musical director, a producer, and, 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 and now composer. And obviously, when, you do, when you're in those positions, you're leading teams of people. And I always like to tell everybody, as I task everyone with their individual you know, jo jobs or whatever, mm -hmm. I say, hey, look, you know, don't, don't get flustered. Don't make such a big deal out of this. We're not saving lives here. You know, like exactly. it, it, right. it's okay if you make a mistake, if something goes wrong, if if we overlook one little thing, nobody's gonna die. It's okay. <laughs> so I, I love know, right? that you, <laughs> yeah, I love that you drew that analogy in the beginning between the doctor you were, uh, you know, mm -hmm. dating and yourself, uh, and also with your parents' background. Right. Um, I think it's important that musicians, especially career musicians, understand that. However. I think the thin line is that we might not be saving lives, but hopefully we are enriching lives, right? 
Yes, and I actually agree with that because so many times after I've noticed that after concerts or shows or people coming to me and telling me how good I made them feel and um, how maybe they love this song or this you know music and how it meant so much for them because maybe they lost someone or maybe you know whatever they needed that to feel better that day and it might not save lives but it heals in a different way that's right it's kind of soul medicine I right love, <laughs> I like so, so that and then you you i love how you were vulnerable and you said you know i'm a little confused i don't know and i think that self-awareness that vulnerability that it takes tenacity to really dive in there with the, the proverbial tool set in your own mind and heart and emotions and figure out what the heck is going on. So I love that you took that sabbatical to Italy. I think that's brilliant. Um, and then you discovered yeah. your aha moment. You had your aha, aha moment, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. and then you said you, you did that and it sounds like your career just literally skyrocketed from that point on. Um, you know, let's talk about that because a lot of right. musicians tend to look at people who who they might say, "Oh, well, they're lucky; everything just fell into place." But I don't think that's always the case. <laughs> no, I think you need to find your own way. That's the hardest part yeah. of it: is that music is so diverse. There's so many things that you can be part of, or you can identify to, or or something you know that you fit in or not. And it just felt like until then, I had been sort of given given or following a direction that was meant to be by whatever my teachers my parents my upbringing it was just something that seemed to be set for me instead of me following my heart or my own um my own interest so it it took that time away from home away from my old self to be able to see a different side of things and decide decide a new way of being part of music. It was clear that I was not going to go back um, to who I was as a musician before. And the funny thing is that, you know, my teachers, sometimes teachers are good influences and some, sometimes they're not, you know. And so, and I, I was lucky to have amazing teachers, but then again, I had a few that were, were hard. And, you know, I think that's a message to anybody that... Um, teaches is the lasting effect that you have it can be very positive and it can be very negative and if a right. if a teacher for whatever reason and sometimes it's just a personality thing doesn't believe in you it's really destructive and i had one of those that really didn't believe in me like i wasn't going to be this and i wasn't going to make it and i was and and then I remember my last teacher um, who wasn't, you know, wasn't that bad, but he just clearly wasn't looking in the right decision for me anyways, but he was a good teacher to have for technical reasons. But um, when I went back after Italy and I had a lesson with him and he was just like, well, I had taken a break in his mind for like almost six months. I hadn't had any lesson with him and I was in Italy basically in his mind, just traveling, but I was rediscovering music and I was practicing my own way. And I was, you know, discovering how to interpret and how to perform pieces in my own way with my own sensibility. And um, he just said, you know, I've never heard you play so well. And I was like, well, thank you very wow. much. And I never had a lesson with him again. It just felt like 
I, I need to move on to something else. I've proven to myself and to him, I've learned what I needed to learn with this person and I need to go ahead with other things and discover other, other aspects of music, you know? I, yeah, I love I, that. I think, That's brilliant. It's so important. It's your oh, own way. That's, you know, find your voice. It's, and it can be through having to step outside of yourself or having different perspective. But definitely, I think for me, was the, that was the changing um, moment in my life was that that's where I found my voice. Yeah. That's right. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Although I never went to college, I had several opportunities. I, I went to a community college and then dropped out. Anyway, I had I had an opportunity to go to Berkeley, University of Miami, but I didn't take them because right. I was working. I had gigs. Well, but but what I always made sure to do was study uh, privately. Mm -hmm. And I've had over a dozen private teachers, you know, especially in those formative years from, you know, through uh, starting in middle school all the way through high school and beyond. And I think it's important to have different perspectives. And boy, can I relate. I had this one teacher in South Florida. I was living there for a while and he just beat me up. He was so, I mean, he was so mean. I'm just going to say mean. This guy was an ass. Like he was just, he was just mean. <laughs> like not only was he mean on a musical level, but he was yeah. mean in, like he would be like, man, huh? you're ch chubby. You should lose weight. Like just say oh. like, some really awful things. And I agree with you. I don't know if all educators realize just how much of an impact they can make on a student's psyche and life yeah. moving forward. So, it, it, I, again, I identify with that. Right. Oh, it can be really, really positive and really bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I love kudos to you for saying, okay, I'm done with this chapter. I'm moving on. I think that's so right. important. And, and let's bridge the gap now because classical studies are so rigid as we know, mm -hmm. and there's really not much room for anything else. Uh, so when you yeah. said, okay, I'm going to keep my classical foundation, but mm -hmm. then I'm going to branch out to improvisation and jazz and rock, that's another thing that you really yeah. had to stand, stand up for yourself. And, and, you know, talk about that, because that's a big decision. It was, a, you know, it's, how can I say that? It was a time where it wasn't really accepted, you know, like classical right. musicians right. were like the high, higher hierarchy or whatever of the musicians, right? And you couldn't play jazz. I was like, what? It's like <laughs> low life musician gigs. Why would you do that when you've done a bachelor's degree? And I was, since I was 17, I was actually subbing in uh, the second major orchestra, symphony orchestra in, in Montreal, like, you know, the, regularly. I was doing the whole season. I started while I was doing... Uh, doing the my bachelor degree and kind of managing rehearsals and concerts and starting making um, my professional life as a musician while I was still in university and then you know after that when I came back I was I still had that gig you know as a sub in the orchestra but now I was adding this new jazz life you know after Italy I just came back and was like yeah I want to discover this and uh, so listening to John Luc Ponty and Mahavishnu and Nisrat Fatah Alakan and you know all these <laughs> all these amazing groups, yeah, and I was like, yeah, I want to do this, and I had to hide, you know. And actually, I got in trouble because the contractor found out that I was doing these jazz gigs, and now musicians were looking at me like, what's she doing? Like she's doing an orchestra, like this classical gig, and why is she doing these low, you know, 
jazz gigs and that there were a few actually that were I would say envious maybe not jealous in the bad way but maybe a few jealous people too that were kind of intrigued and wondered what that meant and some of them actually started coming to my gigs <laughs> and supporting me but they couldn't really say so because it wasn't supposed to be allowed or even well you know uh seen or whatever so I was living this weird double life for a few years and I think when I started making recordings and then having a few albums out and touring with legit people that were actually you know legit pop stars and whatever uh, people started uh, giving me a little bit more respect on that end but I was always seen like the black sheep <laughs> in the orchestra which is funny because when I went back after doing all these tours, the contractor became a, a pretty good friend and kind of, you know, had more respect for me. And um, it's funny, every time I came back, people would rush to me and want to know more about my touring now. You know, it went from being the black sheep to being, we want to know what you did because their lives was pretty much the same. Like they've been there for 20 years, nothing changed, you know. Uh, you, you were doing we're doing exciting things exactly. you know you went you yeah. went from taboo to being being a hero so that's beautiful i love that i love that and yeah I'm, it was yeah just looking i again i we i have so much to relate with you about because i love diversity and eric g is the same way and you know i think diversity is more obviously that's the it's accepted now and it's encouraged and i think it should be like that because looking at your list here stevie wonder luciano pavarotti gino vanelli you know it's like uh cirque du soleil all these things i love it uh that you can go from, you know playing superstition to you know killing paganini to you know it's just all these different things it's like wow see that's in my opinion, that's what it takes to be a true career musician. So, yeah, well, kudos. You. I mean, <laughs> I honestly, I get bored so easily that I think it's a necessity. <laughs> right. right. I'm the same you way. I'm the same <laughs> so I can't do this about exactly what a career years. is. Somebody who gets bored too quickly and needs to do more that's work. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, honestly, it's just that's part of the reason why I need to do so many things is because I get bored. Um, and I, yep. I admire people that can just stick to the same thing for years and be happy with it. I just, I can't, you know, it's not in me. <laughs> well, you know, and look, something else that, that is really cool. I, uh, I'm a big fan of, of maintenance, right? And oh. you have a master's in, uh, in orchestration for film and TV with mm -hmm. Berkeley. Mm -hmm. You have your bachelor from McGill. Mm -hmm. Yet, here you are at the local 47 studying orchestration and arranging and you know i'm a new i was a new in that world i had studied it briefly in high school come back to it so for me it was really important right. for you like you had already been through that you already right. had your master's so i it was just like a little brush up session for you i mean i like to keep learning all the time um and like berkeley online i've done courses until up to like 2019 was the last course i did i try to do one a year i've been luckily too busy to do so last year and and i don't know about this year i just you know a lot of different interests um and projects coming along so i but i like to keep learning i think it's so important and i think i don't know maybe it's just i don't have this 
great memories. If I don't do something for a while, I just need to revisit it for some reason if I don't use it so much. Um, and also, I think the way we learn uh, at different stages in our lives, we don't remember the same notions or the same way of applying them. Um, and I always learn something when I revisit any sort of theory or, uh, you know, it just feels like you look, you know, you read a book when you're 10, you read a book when you're, you know, 40, you're not going to see it the same way or nope. understand. So Absolutely. Kind of so, so true. Now, now let's talk about, I love earlier you said, yeah, my practice routine was 10 hours a day. Um, I, you know, again, I think most of us who do this for a living can relate to that. Um, now, you know, integrating all the work versus the practice, right? You practice all those early years to get the chops, but now you have to kind of shift focus because now you're actually working. So take us, uh, you know, through a day in the life of, of Natalie Bonan. Right. Well, I don't I practice right? 10 hours a day anymore. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and you pronounce you that can. right. <laughs> oh, well, it's maybe, but um, yeah, my days, I, I mean, that's probably the, biggest struggle I find is uh, it's just because the more you get in a career, the more you wear different hats, the more you need to be disciplined and plan ahead. And the more there are unexpected events. So dealing with all of that, I mean, I cannot have two days be the same. It's just impossible. And I've, I guess I, I let go of that idea because it's just too frustrating to to expect that it's not going to be that way i'm not going to have a nine to five with this you know the lunch exactly the same time it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen so i'm more of a goal oriented um person and task oriented and i try to basically prioritize what i need to do in a day um and i'm still kind of finding a routine i find that at different stages in my life, I need a different routine and I need a different self-care. It's not the same. Um, right now, I've just rediscovered yoga in the morning, which I hadn't done for many years and I used to do every morning. But then for a while, I needed more of these hit training. For some reason, I was kind of, you know, I needed to go hardcore on that exercise. And then now I need to be more zen. I, I Maybe it's COVID. I don't know. <laughs> so I think That's adapting... You know, adapting, a, not trying to beat yourself up. <laughs> have, have you always been somebody who's been able to just easily adapt to situations? And uh, you have, you said? Realizing later in life. Oh, me? If, if yeah. I've had, um, well, you know, I have kind of grew up that way in the sense that my parents moved so many times. By the time I was 25, I had calculated, I had literally changed apartment or house for about 30 times, like, like more than per year. It was, just, it was just crazy. Some years I had moved three times and sometimes it was within the province. Sometimes it was, you know, b between New York and Montreal. And I mean, I was born in San Francisco, first of all. So it was just, I think part of my life to be used to having to adapt to different locations, first of all. So that's already quick learning of resilience and adaptation. Um, but I still find that I try to be 
for many years, I tried to be kind of military about it. Like I need to do this. I need to do eight hours of this today. That's it. But I realized you can't do that. It's not, first of all, inspiration, especially in composition, doesn't come always when, you know, the clock hits 7 a.m. You're like, yeah, I need to start now. He goes, yeah, I, yeah, I don't feel it. Okay, well, maybe go take a hike and then come back. And, and half an hour later, you're going to be inspired and oxygenated, whatever. <laughs> That's going to flow better. But learning how to let myself trust that I will find the right timing for that day because a day is never the same. I mean, when it's a full moon, I get super creative. That's just, I've noticed that. I've noticed right. that afterwards. It's not like I'm checking when the full moon is. It's just happened. It's like, wow. Like, like, it was like, and it was like, oh, it's the full moon. <laughs> and it's just like, we are, I think, I don't, know, I don't know if everybody's like that, but I know I'm very affected by my environment, by what's going on. And I need to figure out a way to be effective in that. So Having a routine is more like I wake up, I do my list. If I haven't done it before I go to bed, because sometimes I need to do that. If I'm really stressed out, I need to do my list before I go to bed. And then the next day I wake up and I know what I need to do, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do it in that order. Kind of depends on my energy level. Although I do try to get the most important things early on in the day because past five, except for a very big inspiration spurs, um, it's not the time to do taxes or do numbers or do stuff like that. And I'm just, my brain doesn't like it. <laughs> Hello, I'm Natalie Bonan, and you're listening to The Career Musician with my buddy Nomad. Want to learn more about a particular topic? Tag at The Career Musician and use hashtag Career Musician to let us know what you'd like to hear. Be sure to subscribe to the Career Musician podcast and like the Career Musician on all social platforms to stay up to date on news and topics that affect your music career. Once again, it's, it's like I totally relate to this. I chuckled when you said you had you know thirty addresses. Uh, I that's that's like part of my tagline. That's why I go by Nomad. <laughs> by the time I was twenty, I've had over twenty addresses. You know, so yeah, I get it. And you're right, inspiration. Eric G and I work really closely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's basically my right hand oh. man, and uh, he and I are do the same thing. We're we're task oriented. You know, we set the goal and then we set the tasks to achieve that goal. Right. But you're absolutely right. It has to be on a sliding scale. Otherwise, to be militant. Yeah, it's very yeah. difficult with what we do, right? It is. I mean, I've had times where I, I remember the first series I scored and people thought I was crazy. I was like, you don't know what you're getting into. And I was like, that's good. <laughs> I don't want to know. Um, right. But I had just accepted this contract um, where I was responsible for the entire music background, the theme um, for a 20-episode it was kind of like a variety show where there were six sketches in different styles because it was basically a hypnotist putting somebody under hypnosis and making that person live through an experiment, you know, becoming Superman or, or I don't know, being loving, lo loving tarantulas and basically 
in real life, they are scared to death. But for that experiment, they love them. And then they wake up and they're like Tarantula in their end. And it was like, oh my God, you know, but you have to score in all these sort of styles from kind of John Williams-esque for the Superman to like Skippy the Kangaroo to like a Banjos thing. And I had 124 five-minute sketches to score with basically no dialogue because that was international. So it's a lot of music on my own, you know, mm. it's like, that's like, so that's I remember cool. I had to do two to three sketches a day delivered, you know, to be on time. But then you're like, uh, you know, learn. That's something I learned with that is that trust my instinct. There's no time for doubt. You know, that's right. Oh, say that again. There's no time for doubt. I <laughs> love that. No time for doubt. <laughs> Love it. You know, I, ironically, today um, you uh, landed on the schedule with Phil Eisler. We're interviewing oh, him next. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Phil, and I'm right. just like I'm a huge fan of yours. And um, that's something that I love talking to composers about is when you accept the contract. Because uh, I know several composers who have done lots of big TV shows, as you mentioned. Boy, it's a lot of work, and they, you know, that's always that always seems to be the common thread. You know, get ready for three to four months of zero sleep and stress mm -hmm. and constant, right. you know, content creation. <laughs> so, right. yeah. I think that's cool that you just dove in and just went for it. You don't have to trust yourself that you can do it, you know. And if you know, if you need to, you then you find you know assistance or you find help, but. I think trusting yourself and just diving, that's the, uh, the key ID. Yeah. yeah. So so earlier you said about uh, your hit routine in the morning. You talked about yoga. I wanted to bring this in. When you go to your website, when you when people go to your website, uh, which is just uh, nataliebonanmusic.com, we have a great picture of you as an aerialist. Tell us <laughs> about that. That's like so cool. You're literally hanging in the air playing your violin. I mean. That's cool. <laughs> okay, so that goes back to before my violin started. I was three and I started gymnastics. And my first idol was Nadia Comaneci. So I wanted to be like wow. her. And the Olympics, uh, it was like 76, I think, right? In Montreal. Um, and uh, she was there and she was like an amazing influence on me. And I was following all she did. And... And so I took gymnastics for many years. And actually, when I was nine, I got refused at the admissions for this provincial Olympic. Well, not, not Olympic, but it was like a gymnastics club, you know. But that was the next step up if I wanted to move on. And even though I was one of the most talented in the class, I didn't fit the body, weight, height, whatever. Like, just based on that, they didn't even want to see me. <laughs> so I was so destroyed. It was, like, so bad. Um, anyway, so I, I kept music, um, and later on, I just needed to fill that passion in different ways. So I started doing dance lessons or martial arts. I did, I did Kung Fu when I was, you know, um, a teenager and then, uh, yoga a lot, meditation and whatever, a lot of things. Um, how the hell, sorry, how the hell did you find time to do all this? You're like, it's like you're the ultimate overachiever. What the heck is going on here? I mean, <laughs> each I didn't sleep very much. 
I would say each one of those takes so much focus and discipline. I know. And I didn't mention I learned Mandarin for two years. And unfortunately, I forgot all of it. But like I say, I get bored. Come on. And I'm a hustler. I do a lot, but damn. (laughs) That's incredible. So um, I, I don't know. I was, you know, by myself a lot. I learned, you know, I'm a single child and I guess I, I just love to do all of these things. And anyway, so what happened is that one point when I was uh, in my twenties and started doing these pop tours and musicals, I was working with this choreographer and I told her about my idea of, she was working with Serge du Soleil and a lot of different uh, shows like that. And I said, you know, I wanted to be a gymnast when I was a kid and I wanted to com- combine my two passions, find something I can do between violin and gymnastics. There must be something. And I thought of aerials and she said, well, I know somebody that is a coach at Cirque Loise and maybe he could help you out. And I left a message. He didn't call back. <laughs> Probably thought I was totally nuts. So I called back again a week later saying, look, I know you think I'm crazy, but I'd really, really like to try something. So he ended up calling back and we had a first session where he had me try different apparels safely because I had never done circus before. But because of all those different trainings in dance and art, you know, Kung Fu and everything else, uh, yoga, I was very flexible and I had a very good uh, uh self-awareness of directions and, you know, even upside down, I knew because people kind of get confused and kind of dyslexic about where they are if they're upside down. And that wasn't a problem for me. For me, it was like, okay, we need more abs because definitely when you're up there without the use of your hands, you're going to need a motor to, you know, find a way to move. And so the only thing we can find that I could, I didn't need my hands um, were, was the harness uh, in a way that he actually split the um, he put a pole between the wires so that I had enough place for enough room for my bow to move without hitting one of those wires so I was basically in in a harness with a v-shaped um, rig over my head so I could have place for me playing the violin and then I learned how to use my legs and my torso my abs to move around twist and do all these crazy Dance. Um, and after six months, I did my first live TV show with, you know, uh, over on, um, was it Bring Me to Life by Evanescence was my first song um, that I played to. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, you, all the things you do, it reminds me of the, the paradigm that Tim Ferriss always preaches, you know, so he's of the mindset very similar where it's like, look, do something that scares you, just take mm-hmm. it on. It's a challenge. And, and, you know, go ahead and, and and do your best to master it and then dive in and actually do it. Don't just leave right. it on the shelf after you learn, but actually dive in. So, I yeah. mean, again, what an inspiration. Speaking of inspiration, I think um, a lot of people listening to this will be inspired. And I hope that they are inspired and encouraged. Uh, how do you define success? I love, you know, finding that out from different oh. people to, again, to encourage the listeners. Well, I think uh, for me that you know that story is a is a success for me. It's part of what I define as success is having the courage to do something that seems kind of impossible and 
realizing it, making it happen. So for me, it's trusting myself to be able to do something that I didn't think I was able to before, but that I wanted to. So doing that, it doesn't mean like I'm going to be the next Hans Zimmer. I don't, I don't have these kind of goals for myself. That's not the way I see it because I'm not that person. I'm not ever going to be anybody else than myself. So I need to compare it to where, what, what inspires me and what scares me. And a lot of times both of them combined kind of leads the way to where I need to go. Um, yeah. I so I need that. to figure yeah. out where I have reticence in going because a lot of times it's just fear of not succeeding. Mm, um, that's so succeeding sad. at that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, daring, and that, daring something. That's, that's perfect. Those are great words of wisdom. I always, you know, again, I try to uh, pare that down for people listening because let's face it, sustaining a career in music, especially these days, is not easy. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, once again, I love that. I love that insight and that pearl of wisdom. Um, projects on the horizon for you coming up? Do you have any shows you're scoring or anything you're producing or anything in particular? Again, your website is beautifully done. It's a, so much information. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I mean, I've had a few releases that um, are very dear to my heart recently, like that um, Jazz Violin Concerto with Quincy Natchef, who composed this concerto for me. Um, it was like a 13-year project. Uh, we've been collaborating for almost well, 20 years on different things. So a bunch of albums with him. And that one came out um, this year. I mean, actually last year. We're already in 2021. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in 2020. So that was like a really important project for me and a very challenging one in a more technical, classical, challenging way. Like that's one of those, I'm like, look at the page. I'm like, am I ever going to be able to play this? Um, so that was very, very uh, important for me. And also there was the Women Warriors, the Voices of Change that just came out a few months ago. Um the premiere was at Lincoln Center in 2019 in the fall, and it's really a multimedia concert of women composers um, kind of relating with music uh, to picture the uh, story of 800 years of these women composer, uh, women warriors who changed the world in so many ways or fought for different causes. Uh, and this is supposed to tour maybe, you know, when COVID is over. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a touring project eventually. So that should be going on at some point. And I've been uh, more, you know, uh, collaborating more and more with Universal France uh, on this scoring pictures series of albums. So there's one that's actually might be out today or tomorrow. It's supposed to be out. Um, so this one is, I think, Asian Cinematic is the last album. And I'm, there's one composition of mine uh, the phoenix and the dragon that's going to be on there so it's kind of asian inspired uh catalog uh, for actually so i've been doing a bunch of songs with them the last one we had a recording in paris with strings uh recorded at the riff x studio um and yeah i mean right now there's a bunch of documentaries that's kind of on the slide but a lot of productions have been postponed so on that end i'm kind of waiting for the next real you know, movie to be coming along, but I've had a 
few pitches that seem promising that I've not heard on yet. So can't really talk about them. And a lot of remote tracking, you know, tracking for a bunch of composers. So that's great too. Okay, I love that. I'm so glad you said remote tracking. So uh, here at The Career Musician, we're really trying to help people, you know, uh, again, figure out ways to sustain their career, how the hell to do this. So we just released the six-step guide to recording pro-level sessions from home. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, and it's available at the website, thecareermusician.com. You just go there and you uh, drop your email and you download the free guide. But mm-hmm. You know, it, it always surprises me that there are still a lot of musicians that don't have a home recording setup. Um, but I think, I mean, especially now more than ever, it's vital. Like if you don't have one, it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, talk about your setup, especially yeah. for string players. That it's very important that you have just the right microphone and, and you know, uh, situation you know, to get I it. I mean, that's, that's funny you say that because I've tested different mics. Um I have a Royer 121. It sounds beautiful. It's also very sensitive to the environment. Um, I have another one that's, you know, more of a condenser mic. That's a very decent um, Audio Technica mic, um, which I've used a lot of times, even for vocals. So that's, you know, that works well for that too. But I found that the one that I use the most and that is the most consistent and the one that people prefer is my dpa 4099 this is actually a gooseneck mic um Uh because it doesn't take the room and so i have a drier um you know a drier track at the end in the end and that's what most people want so they can put it in whatever reverb um so that's been my go-to mic for most of my recordings lately and it also makes it possible for me to start a project somewhere and finish it somewhere else without kind of having to tweak out the room or tweak in the room or whatever um, because it's really yeah. close but it's still far enough with the gooseneck that I can still get the resonance of the instrument and it's a really really good mic so what type of what type of uh, preamp do you go through any processing or do you just go directly into your um, converter? I go through my UAD Apo- Apollo Twin. Yeah, that's been my <laughs> yeah. I love that little beast. Uh, I mean, that's a machine, amazing machine. That's what we use <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I go through that, and um, I use right now. I've been uh, using the Neve eighty eight. Yeah. You know, and preamp and um, virtual or the hard. I don't use. No, no, the virtual. I mean, you know, I'm on the road. I can't bring all this gear around. And that's the whole point that we're making to musicians. Hey, it's now it's easier than ever to have a professional quality setup. Yeah. So. Yeah. To be honest, it's just uh, incredible what I've been able to do with my little laptop. Uh, I mean, I'm missing a big trash can right now, but I still can do so much with my laptop. Uh and it's just basically what's in around what what it's controlling. So I'm using the UAD, and um, I mean sometimes I've used the 1073 or the new 84. Those amps they add different colors, but I find that that's more for my own personal projects. When I use it for somebody else, the 88 is kind of it's a warm, but it doesn't really color it so much that people's gonna you know say anything about it. And the yeah. mic is a condenser, so it's it tends to be uh, brighter and dark. So it kind of balances it out. And I usually don't 
do EQ unless there's for some reason my violin, you know, instruments, some days they just don't sound great for whatever humidity or whatever reason. So sometimes if I need to, Absolutely. I cut out a resonance or I always cut out the bottom end of my violin just because any sort of noise in my hand or whatever. Um, but that's it. That's, that's right. You don't need you know, you don't need those lower frequencies. Absolutely. No. It's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So all the violinists, uh, viol violists, cellists, everybody listening, go out, get your, your home rig set up, get the, the guy, download it and, and, and go, you know, check out Natalie's website. Uh, uh, once again, amazing. I love all of your, your whole body of work Thank is beautiful. You. I love your skill sets uh would you mind to close with some rapid fire questions <laughs> all right we got the we got the proverbial drum roll here oh gosh all right, right. So you, have a, you have one minute <gasps> all right okay. and i'm going to show you on my phone the time so you can see ready natalie here's the thing eric <laughs> is hardcore i don't like to relegate it to one minute but he's like no we have to do a minute i'm like okay all right all right all right hey, do you want to not do a minute we can change it no 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 it's fine i'm just usually not very good at this but hey we dive in right that's what we've been saying all along it's fun it's fun we do it fun. here we go ready yeah, three two one top three artists in your playlist Oh my gosh. Let's say, um, well, right now, Carlos Rivera and uh, Nicholas Britnell and, oh, wow, I guess you too. Studio or live? Oh gosh, live. Favorite city? Santa Monica. Dream collaboration? Hans Zimmer. What entertains you? Gosh. Um, anything that touches my soul. Electric or acoustic? Mm, acoustic. Favorite decade of music? Um, the 70s. <laughs> Your friends would say you are? Um, reliable. Instrument you wish you played? Hmm. Piano, better. <laughs> yeah. What would you do if you weren't a real musician? I'd probably go in finance. <laughs> finance. All right, there you go. Well done. I mean, you crushed it. You, gee, I think you crushed them all. <laughs> That's oh. awesome. How fun. You did. Jeez. Oh, I mean, no hesitation. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, so, so wait a minute. So now you're going to add finance to your skill set as well you know, Jeez. I've been, i actually have been doing that for like the past few weeks i'm like yeah i think i might do some stock market stuff you know it's it's, <laughs> it's kind of part of you know it's living on the edge kind of like us that's right <laughs> we do that's what we do why not so so everybody can find you at uh natalie bonan music.com and that is n-a-t-h-a-l-i-e-b-o-n-i-n music dot com and uh your socials are all there and all of her music yeah. dig in and boy this has been such a treat and you know what we have to figure out a way to collaborate i want to find something yeah. that i can play you know maybe acoustic guitar on maybe some piano with eric and you violin feature i don't know we'll, we'll just think awesome. about yeah oh, of course yeah. i would love that yeah definitely you need to very 
Yeah. And every, anybody, cool. you know, want to ask questions or please email me, you know, uh, on my website, there's an email and happy to answer questions if anybody has them. That's brilliant. We're definitely going to have you back. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.